Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Believe it or not, uh, Father Scott and I did not set out to preach a stewardship series, okay? Uh, But this is maybe one of the benefits of lectionary preaching. Uh, Lectionary is a a list of... um, a list of scriptures that we go through uh, that tell us basically what we're supposed to read on Sunday mornings. And, uh, and we have to kind of pick from those and to, to preach on, on the regular. That's kind of our, our, our discipline. One of the great things about the lectionary is that it, um, although it might seem constraining or it might seem limiting, the great thing is it doesn't constrain the, the preaching or the scriptures to the choice of the preacher. Right? So we're forced to kind of confront maybe some topics, some passages that we might uh, otherwise kind of gloss over. For instance, we had a great sermon last week from Father Scott. Um, and, and it was talking about how, how, Jesus, um, how Jesus exhorts us to, uh, to, to use our material resources. Right? And that, was, that was a big thrust of last sermon. And so I turn to the lectionary passages for this week to plan and what do we have? But all the passages are about the same thing. How how does God look at physical possessions? How does God look at money? And so this is so uh, great and what a blessing to us that our, our lectionary uh, that we're using right now doesn't just say, oh well we did that last week, let's do something else this week. Um, because what, what we have is an accurate reflection of the emphasis, actually, that the Bible gives to this topic. The Bible talks about money, finances, how we manage those things, what our attitudes should be towards those things, um, almost more than any other topic. I did a survey one time of the New Testament passages on this, and several years ago, you may remember, and I had this chart up on, up on the screen, and, and really the only thing that gets mentioned in the Gospels more than money and possessions is, is, is like uh, eternal life. That's pretty interesting, huh? Philip, Philip Yancey, I don't know if you, you guys know this guy. He's a famous Christian author. He tells a story about this dude who goes to a monastery. And he goes to, to, to spend some time there. And he, he opens the door and finds a monk there waiting for him. The monk is going to show him to his cell. He says, so glad you're here. Hope you have a blessed stay. If you need anything, let us know. And we'll teach you how to live without it. will teach you how to live without it. I, I am really grateful for the monastic tradition within uh, Christianity because uh, these, these uh, men and women that, that live their lives in kind of this radical way, uh, they, they do this to help remind the rest of the church that so many of the things that we take for granted just aren't necessary for the fullness of life. And in fact, they remind us that so many of the things that we take for granted are actually, or at least they can be, a distraction from the fullness of life that God has for us in Jesus, that God has for us in the Spirit. Our epistle reading today is from one of Paul's letters to a young pastor named Timothy. And that's where we're going to focus, even though all of our passages today kind of revolve around this topic. We're going to focus on Timothy Paul's coaching Timothy on how to deal with some of the issues that have crept into the church at Ephesus. And one of those issues seemed to be people posing as authentic followers of Christ. And yet, um, and yet they're, they're actually teaching things. They're doing things not to help others, not to help 
teach people the gospel or spread the gospel, but really for their own financial gain. And this is the, the springboard for this, this whole topic for Paul. Now, uh, we know that the global church today, we still struggle with this, don't we? We still have plenty of people out there purporting to be preachers of the gospel, teachers of the gospel, that are in it, not for that purpose, but for what they think they can gain from that, whether financially, uh, reputationally, whatever. And sometimes it's not always intentional. Sometimes pastors, even of small churches, even people like me, can slip into that. Um, it's not always this this evil, this uh, like evil you know, mastermind that kind of thing. You can you can slip into it because money is always just part of our daily life in, 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 as, as human beings. And so it's, it's very easy to be, to get focused on it and, and to slip into that. Um, you know, the church has business to do. The church has business to. The church is not a business. Uh, and, and that's so easy to slip into. And, and some people want the church to be run like a business. So it's a whole nother rant. But I, but I, but I won't. But um, I, I will say this, though, that, that there is a whole school of people that says, you know, a pastor is also a CEO. Because he runs a, a nonprofit or, or whatever. And I just want to tell you guys right now, I'm not a CEO. And I will never look at myself like a CEO. I do maybe some CEO-like things from time to time, but, but that's not who I am. I'm a pastor and the rector of a church. So, but the church has business to do. I know that, you know that we got to do it. Um, but the church is not a business when it's run that way, when a pastor starts thinking of themselves as a CEO and, and so on, and you guys become shareholders. I mean, how problematic is that? Um, we get into trouble. We get into trouble because the most important metric in that way of looking at things is, of course, the bottom line. And, and finances are important, right? They're important for us as a church. They're important for a business. They're important for households. We all have to think about that bottom line. But the most important thing for God is never the bottom line financially. It's just not. He, he, he's not that concerned with what you have overall. That's not the most important thing to God. The most important thing to God is not what you have, but rather what you love. And in fact, I might even say it this way. I think this is a better way of saying it. Who you love. The most important thing to God isn't what you have, but who you love. Our passage begins with this equation, like sentence in 1 Timothy 6, 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Or we could maybe say godliness plus contentment equals gain. Godliness plus contentment equals gain. So see, God's not about gain. God's not against gains. It's just about the right kind of gains. So, so let's break that down a minute. Godliness is simply having the character of God. It means you're like God. And in particular... This, this idea of godliness is really a New Testament idea that's, de- that's developed in, in that scripture. Um, in particular, a disposition of loving kindness towards others and faithfulness to the Lord. Loving kindness towards others, faithfulness to the Lord. That's what godliness is. Contentment means being satisfied with your circumstance or position in life. I, I think of it like this. I think of it as unhitching your identity and your happiness from your external possessions and situation. 
to unhitch your, ha- your identity and your happiness from your external possessions and situation. In other words, it's the, the very opposite of saying, if only I was in this better set of circumstances. If only I had a better job. If only I had better friends. If only I wasn't in this tough social situation. Even harder things. If only I wasn't dealing with this physical pain, then I would be happy. It's the opposite of that. If only I had this better object. If only I had this this better car. If only I had a bigger house. If only I had this then I would be happy. It's the opposite of that. Gain is, of course, the increase of something. Right? To gain anything is to, to, to have something that you didn't have before, right? So, of course, we understand gains at the gym, right? Or at least some of you understand gains at the gym. I don't understand gains at the gym. Uh, reputational gains, right? When we are increasing in how people look at us. We get that when we're recognized at work. We, we understand financial gains, of course. I and mean, that's what this is really about, you know. When our investments are doing well, we get those financial gains. But what exactly is Paul saying that we're gaining here? He says godliness plus contentment equals gain. What are we gaining? And I think it's exactly what many of us are really trying to get. What we're really trying to get when we're happy that our investments are going well, when we spend our energy getting gains at the gym and in our social circles and in our bank accounts, what are we really trying to get? Well, we, we, we want to be valued, right? We want to be safe. We want to have a tangible sense of, of who we are and, and what we're about. And the, the problem with looking for all that in the, in the physical realm only, Paul knows this, is that all aspects of the physical realm or not all aspects, excuse me, not all aspects of the physical realm are permanent. And money especially is not a permanent arrangement. Money is not sinful, but it is uh, a result of the fall. It's necessary because of the fall. And money just isn't going to last forever. Our, Our physical possessions are not a permanent arrangement. Just like read verses 7 and 8. Barbara read this for us. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Man, that is challenging, isn't it? I mean, if that, there, there should be no way for us to read that sentence and be like, yeah, yeah, okay, cool, I'm good, and not be challenged by that. Anyone who has more that has their basic needs met, Paul seems to be saying that anybody that has more than that has something to give. And how often, I can't tell you how often I've said to myself, well, I just don't have anything to give this month to this thing. But is that really true? I mean, I had to have to do some self-examination because I have more than enough clothes. I have a clerical every day of the week. I have, I have more than enough food. The, the point is that here that we don't need anything physically in the world to be healthy and whole. 
that, that's not what's going on here. Of course, we need physical material things to flourish as God intends us to as human beings. We need food. We need clothing. But it's the desire for more than what we need that is ultimately a fruitless desire. That's what Paul's getting at here. Our desires. The, the, the desire for more than what we need is an ultimately fruitless desire. And it's a dangerous desire too. What does he say? Verses 9 and 10. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. So it's a gateway drug. Many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with with many pangs. The idea is like hunger pains. It's like you want something, but, but you, can't, you can't get it, right? So, so even if you get what you want, the reason it results in these many pangs is because you'll lose it eventually. And in fact, that knowledge is always hanging over your head that you could lose this. And, and in fact, if we're honest with ourselves, you're going to lose this, whatever it is that you have. Even if you get what you want, you won't be able to keep it. So the craving for the temporary things of this world, and especially physical things, becomes an endless, insatiable desire that cannot be filled. And because of that, it will lead you straight away from God. Every time. And that's why Paul is emphasizing godliness. Because loving kindness towards others, faithfulness to the Lord, those are the kinds of things that produce character in us. To desire those things... That changes us on the inside in a positive way. It actually draws us closer to Christ relationally. It makes us more what we are really meant to be like. And so those are the things that are going to last forever. Those are the things that are going to last forever. So you see, if our desires are rightly ordered, in other words, if our desires are, are, are if we're wanting what God wants us to want, then they won't be fruitless. We will, in fact, we'll actually get what we desire. And instead of this kind of, kind of looming thing, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose this stuff no matter what I do. There's a hope that, hey, no matter what I do, I'm going to get what I want. When you love the right thing or person, you can be content. When you love the right thing or person, you can be content because you will get what you want. God has given us everything in his son, Jesus. He's, he's always been willing to provide for our every need and give us that identity, security, and fulfillment that we all want. That's all there for us. We mess that up as a human race. Granted, we mess that up. And if we go back to Genesis, I wish we could spend all day in this today because this is so deep and so important to us. Um, We see that we allowed our desires to be turned away from God and turned towards something else. We turned away from God. He was the source. He is the source of of that life. and, And we allowed our desires to be turned towards those things that that just can't deliver They can't deliver on what we really need. And so Jesus died on the cross to take that twisted way of thinking and feeling and being with him to the grave. Took it to the grave and he was raised again so we can know that we can receive healing of our desires. We can receive healing of our desires by faith. And we can know that there's a better way and we can be content. Listen, not because we're self-sufficient. Now, there's a whole world out there that likes to talk about being content and contentment. And there are philosophical ways of talking about this. And it always revolves around being self-sufficient, being sufficient in yourself, right? Just be self-confident. Just know who you are. You see, as Christians, 
we know that ultimately we will even fail ourselves. You guys tracking with me? We can't rely on ourselves for that either. So we're content not because we are self-sufficient in any way, but because Christ's sacrifice was sufficient for forgiveness. We can be content because union with Christ is sufficient for eternal life now and forever. Last night, Amber and I went to an event for a foundation that helps victims of war and genocide in Africa. And we heard about this woman named Rose Mapendo, who with several of her children was taken captive during the civil war in the Congo. She had virtually every physical possession taken from her. She had relational possessions taken from her. Her husband was murdered. And she wandered every day for a long time in captivity if she or one of her children would be next. While she was in captivity, she gave birth to twins with like a cup of dry rice every day to provide nutrition. That's it. Yet, she will tell you, this is a horrible circumstance. She survived. Her children survived. She will tell you, and she told us last night, that it was in that circumstance of really absolute poverty and desperation that she learned to love, that she learned to forgive, and that she learned to surrender in gratitude even to the Lord. Amber asked her, there's a Q&A, Amber asked her how we could cultivate that same sense of gratitude. It just seems miraculous. How can we cultivate that in our own children, in our own family? Rose said that children will always take the material things that we give them for granted, whether it's a little or a lot. So don't focus on that. It's the truth that we instill in them that can last. What a great reminder to us yet last night that the greatest gift that uh, I can give my kids, kids, hope you're listening to this. The greatest gift that I can give my kids, that I can give you guys, is not a Lego set. I love giving you guys Legos, but that's not the best gift I can give you. It's not a dollhouse. It's not a, it's not a gaming system. Um, when you get a little bit older, it's not even a car. The best thing I can give you is the truth of the gospel that you are loved by Jesus and that he's made a way for you to live forever with him and that that is what will bring you lasting happiness. Now, I, I want to emphasize that this passage isn't making a sin of being wealthy at all, but it's reminding us that the more wealth we have, the more we tend to desire it. So we have to be on guard against that. We have to uh, be ready to kind of put up a fight against that. Um, Paul says we have to pursue, verse 11, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. That is fighting the good fight of faith. When we talk about fighting the good fight, that's what it is. It's pursuing the right things. And it's that, it's it's pursuing those things and not pursuing riches that we're going to be able to take hold of that eternal life. That we confess for the future and that we, we actually receive that eternal life in the present by the grace of God. So he goes on, uh, in verse 17, as for the rich, that's those of us that have more than we need. By the way, we've established that. So many of us, 
in this room are rich. As for the rich in this present age, charge them. He's talking to Timothy. Charge them, tell them, and that's many of us, not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The best way to pursue these things, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, the best way to pursue those things when it comes to money, because we're focusing in on that specific thing today, is just to release the idea that it's ours to begin with. Just let it go. It's not ours to begin with. And we ask the Lord to do what to do with all of it before we touch any of it. That's the best way to pursue this stuff, I think. So when we, when we get any kind of material income, we get any kind of possession, we say, Lord, I know this isn't mine. I know it's yours. What do you want me to do with it? What do you want me to do with it? And that, that shifts our, our hope. The great thing is once we stop finding our hope in things, we are so much more free and, and e- the eternal quality of life. Right? That, like when we say eternal life, we do mean life that means forever. But we also mean, we also mean life from heaven. We mean, we mean life with a particular quality to it as well. So that eternal quality of life is so much closer to us when, when we release everything that we have to the Lord. Our hope shifts from uncertainty and wealth to certainty in Christ. And we'll always have exactly what we need in him for every moment. And once we're truly content with the simplicity of adequate food and clothes, and by the way, I'm preaching to myself here too, okay? So just keep that in mind. Once we are truly content with the simplicity of adequate food and clothes, and that's enough for us, we are so free then. We are so free to give to the things of the kingdom, right? To give to works of mercy, to even to art and to architecture that glorifies God, to expressions of care and thoughtfulness to our neighbors and loved ones. And we are, once we're truly content with our needs being met, we're, we're really even more free, if you think about it, to enjoy and appreciate what God has given us above our needs, for the expression of his grace and generosity that it is. It was uh, Charles Spurgeon, at least I think it was Charles Spurgeon, that said, it's not how much we have, but how much we enjoy that makes happiness. And so when you're always looking for that next thing, whatever it is, you're, you're not really enjoying what you got, right? It's not so much what we have, but how much we enjoy that makes happiness. And we have so much in Christ. We have so much in Christ. We have things that last forever. Christ. So let's enjoy him and all of his gifts to the fullest in a spirit of contentment and gratitude and giving. Let us all, in the words of St. Paul, this is kind of the last part of our, of our verse, I want to, to leave you with this as an exhortation. This is verses 18 and 19. Do good. Be rich in good works and be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. Brothers and sisters, that is Jesus Christ. Amen.